You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Chapter 13, the final chapter of Triplanetary. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain and is read by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Triplanetary by E. E. Smith. Chapter 13, the meeting of the giants. Check your blast, Fred. I think I hear something trying to come through, Cleveland called out sharply. For days the Boise had torn through the illimitable reaches of empty space, and now the long vigil of the keen-eyed listeners was to be ended. Radabush cut off his power, and through the deafening roar of tube noise an almost inaudible voice made itself heard. "'All the help you can give us—Sams, Cleveland, Radabush, anybody of Triplanetary who can hear me, listen!' "'This is Costigan, with Miss Marsden and Captain Bradley.' heading for where we think the sun is, from right ascension about six hours, declination about plus fourteen degrees, distance unknown but probably hundreds of light-years. Trace my call. One Nevian ship is overhauling us slowly, another is coming toward us from the sun. We may or may not be able to dodge it, but we need all the help you can give us. Sams, Routabush, Cleveland, anybody of Triplanetary. Endlessly the faint, faint voice went on, but Routabush and Cleveland were no longer listening. Sensitive ultra-loops had been swung, and along the indicated line shot Triplanetary's super-ship at a velocity which she had never before even approached. The utterly incomprehensible, almost incalculable velocity attained by inertialess matter, driven through an almost perfect vacuum by the Boise's maximum projector blast, a blast which would lift her stupendous normal tonnage against a gravity five times that of Earth's. At the full frightful measure of that velocity, the super-ship literally annihilated distance, while ahead of her the furiously driven, but scarcely faster spy-ray beam, tore on in quest of the three terrestrials who were calling for help. "'Got any idea how fast we're going?' Radabush demanded, glancing up for an instant from the observation plate. "'We should be able to see him, since we could hear him.' and our range is certainly as great as anything he can have. No, can't figure velocity without any reliable data on how many atoms of matter exist per cubic meter out here. Cleveland was staring at the calculator. It's constant, of course, at the value at which the friction of the medium is equal to our thrust. Incidentally, we can't hold it long. We're running a temperature, which shows that we're stepping along faster than anybody ever computed before. Taking Throckmorton's estimates, it figures somewhere near the order of magnitude of ten to the twenty-seventh. Fast enough, anyway, so you'd better bend an eye on that plate. Even after you see him, you won't know anything about where he really is, because we don't know any of the velocities involved—our own, his, or that of the beam—and we may be right on top of him. Or, if we are outrunning the beam, we won't see him at all. That makes it nice piloting. How are you going to handle things when we get there? 
Lock to them and take them aboard, if we're in time. If not, if they are fighting already, there they are. The picture of the speeches control room flashed upon the plate, and Koskin's voice greeted them from the speaker. Hello, fellows. Welcome to our city. Where are you? We don't know, Cleveland snapped back, and we don't know where you are, either. Can't figure anything without data. I see you're still breathing air. Where are the Nevians? How much time we got yet? Not enough, I'm afraid. By the looks of things, they will be within range of us in a couple of hours, and you're so far away yet that it took our voices four minutes and about fifty seconds to make the round trip on the Ultra. Play that on your calculator, Lyman. You haven't even touched our detector screen yet. I'm mighty glad to have seen you fellows again, though, anyway. A couple of hours! In his relief Cleveland almost shouted the words. That's time to burn! We can be clear out of the galaxy in less than— He broke off at a yell from Routabush. "'Broncast, Conway! Broncast!' that worthy had cried, as Costigan's image had disappeared utterly from his plate. Now he cut off the Boise's power, stopping her instantaneously in mid-space, but the connection had been broken. Costigan could not possibly have heard the orders to change his beam signal to a broadcast, so that they could pick it up, nor would it have done any good if he had heard and had obeyed. So immeasurably great had been their velocity that they had flashed past the speedster without seeing it, even upon the ultra-plates, and now they were unknown billions of miles beyond the fugitives they had come so far to help, far beyond the range of any possible broadcast. But Cleveland had understood instantly what had happened. He now had a little data upon which to work, and his fingers were flying over the keys of the calculator. Backblast. Maximum. Seventeen seconds. He directed, crisply. Not exact, of course, but that'll put us close enough to find him with our detectors. Then, for the calculated seventeen seconds, the super-ship retraced her path, at the same awful speed with which she had come so far. The blast expired, and there, plainly limbed upon the observation plates, was the Nevian speedster. "'As a computer, you're good!' Routabush applauded. "'So close that we can't use the neutralizers to catch him. If we use a dyne of driving force, we'll overshoot him a million kilometers before I can snap the switches out.' "'And yet he's so far away and going so fast that if we keep our inertia on, it'll take all day at full drive to overtake him.' Cleveland was frankly puzzled. What to do? Shunt in a potentiometer? No, we don't need it. Routabush turned to the transmitter. Koskin, we're going to take hold of you with a very light tractor. Don't cut it. A tractor? Inertialess? Cleveland wondered. Why not? Routabush launched the tractor, set at its absolute minimum of power, and threw in his master switches. While hundreds of thousands of miles separating the two vessels and the tractor beam were exerting the least effort of which it was capable, yet the super-ship leaped toward the smaller craft at a pace which covered that distance in the twinkling of an eye. So rapidly were the objectives enlarging upon the plates that the automatic focusing devices could scarcely function rapidly enough to keep them in place. Cleveland flinched involuntarily, and seized his armrest in a spasmodic clutch as he watched this the first inertialist space approach, and even Routabush, who knew better than anyone else what to expect, 
held his breath and swallowed hard at the unbelievable rate at which the two vessels were rushing together. And if these two, who had rebuilt the space flyer, could hardly control themselves, what of the three in the speedster, who knew nothing whatever of the super-ship's potentialities? Clio, staring into the plate with Costigan, uttered a piercing shriek as she sank her fingers into his shoulders. Bradley swore a mighty deep-space oath and braced himself against certain annihilation. Costigan stared for an instant, unable to believe his eyes, then his hand darted to the contacts which would cut the beam. Too late. Before his flying fingers could reach the studs, the Boise was upon them, had struck them a direct central impact. Moving at the full measure of her unthinkable velocity though the super-ship was at the moment of impact, yet the most delicate recording instruments of the speedster could not detect the slightest shock as the enormous globe struck the comparatively tiny torpedo and clung to it, accommodating instantly and effortlessly her own terrific pace to that of the smaller and infinitely slower craft. Clio sobbed in relief, and Costigan, one arm around her, sighed hugely. "'Hey, you space-fleas!' he cried. "'Glad to see you in all that, but you might as well kill a man outright as scare him to death. So that's the super-ship, huh? Some ship!' "'Hello, Conway! Clear ether, Conway!' the two scientists answered the hail of their fellow. "'I didn't realize that an inertialess approach would be quite such a terrifying spectacle, or I would have warned you,' Routabush went on. "'Yes, thanks to you, the super-ship works as she should at last. But you had better put on your suits and transfer. You might get your things ready.' "'Things is good,' Costigan laughed, and Clio giggled sunnily. "'We've made so many transfers already that what you see us in is all we have,' Bradley explained. "'We'll bring ourselves, and we'll hurry. That 